Do you want victory? You can have it in Christ Jesus. Time once again for Abiding in Christ with Jim Wood. You have to step back, evaluate the various positions in light of Scripture, and then re-engage with a godly perspective. Pastor Wood is the founder of Wears Valley Ranch, a Christian home and school for kids from crisis family situations. Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. You can contact the program by calling 866-41-ABIDE or by visiting us on the web at wvr.org. And now, without further delay, here's your host, Jim Wood. I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 3. Nehemiah chapter 3. You'll recall that in chapter 2 we saw that Nehemiah was dependent on God, that when he was facing a very challenging situation, his response was to immediately go to the Lord in prayer. And he continued to be prayerful as he faced those challenges. He was dependent on God. He was deliberate in his preparation and in his choices. He was decisive in that he went ahead and was able to decide this is what we're going to do and then follow through. He was determined. He kept with it and he got it done. Now in chapter 3, we begin our reading this morning. This is God's word. Eliashib was the high priest and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the Tower of Hananel. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zakur, son of Imri, built next to them. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hazanan. They laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Merimoth, son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz, repaired the next section. Next to him was Meshulam, son of Berechiah, the son of uh, Meshezebel, made repairs. And the, next to him, Zadok, son of Bena, also made repairs. The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. The Jeshana gate was repaired by Joida, uh, Joida, son of Peseah, and Meshulam, son of Besodea. You know, I really dread getting to heaven and meeting all these people who are going to say, you, you never did learn to pronounce my name. <laughs> they laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Next to them, repairs were made by the men from Gibeon and Mizpah. Melatiah of Gibeon and Jadon of Maranoth, places under the authority of the governor of Trans-Euphrates. Uzael, son of Herhiah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired the next section. And Hananiah, one of the perfume makers, made repairs next to that. They restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Uh, Rephiah, son of Hur, ruler of a half-district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section. Adjoining this, Jediah, son of Harumpha, made repairs opposite his house. And Hattush, son of Hashabaniah, made repairs next to him. Melchijah, son of Harim, and Hashub, son of Pehath-Moab, repaired another section of the Tower of the Ovens. Shalom, son of Halahesh, ruler of a half-district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section with the help of his daughters. The valley gate was repaired by Hanun and the residents of Zenoa. 
They rebuilt it and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. They also repaired 500 yards of the wall as far as the dung gate. The dung gate was repaired by Melchijah, son of Rechab, ruler of the district of Beth Hakarem. He rebuilt it and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. The fountain gate was repaired by Shalun, son of Kolhoza, ruler of the district of Mizpah. He rebuilt it, roofing it over and putting its doors and bolts and bars in place. He also repaired the wall of the Pool of Siloam by the king's garden as far as the steps going down from the city of David. Beyond him, Nehemiah, son of Azbuk, ruler of a half-district of Bethzer, made repairs up to a point opposite the tombs of David, as far as the artificial pool and the house of the heroes. Next to him, the repairs were made by the Levites under Rehum, son of Bani. Beside him, Hashabiah, ruler of the half-district of Kaliah, uh, carried out repairs for his district. Next to him, the repairs were made by their countrymen under Benui, son of Henadad, ruler of the other half-district of Keilah. Next to him, Ezer, son of Jeshua, ruler of Mizpah, repaired another section from a point facing the ascent to the armory as far as the angle. Next to him, Baruch, son of Zabai, zealously repaired another section from the angle to the entrance of the house of Eliashib, the high priest. Next to him, Merimoth, son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz, repaired another section from the entrance of Eliashib's house to the end of it. The repairs next to him were made by the priests from the surrounding region. Beyond them, Benjamin and Hashub made repairs in front of their house. And next to them, Azariah, son of Messiah, the son of Ananiah, made repairs beside his house. Next to him, Benui, son of Henadad repaired another section from Azariah's house to the angle and the corner, and Palal, son of Uzai, worked opposite the angle and the tower, projecting from the upper palace near the court of the guard. Next to him, Bediah, son of Parosh, and the temple servants living on the hill of Ophel, made repairs to a point opposite the water gate toward the east and the projecting tower. Next to them, the men of Tekoa repaired another section from the great projecting tower to the wall of Ophel. Above the horse gate, the priests made repairs, each in front of his own house. Next to them, Zadok, son of Immer, made repairs opposite his house. Next to him, Shemaiah, son of Shechaniah, the guard at the east gate, made repairs. Next to him, Hananiah, son of Shelemiah, and Hanun, the sixth son of Zalaf, repaired another section. Next to them, Meshulam, son of Berechiah, made repairs opposite his living quarters. Next to him, Machalijah, one of the goldsmiths, made repairs as far as the house of the temple servants and the merchants opposite the inspection gate, and as far as the room above the corner. And between the room above the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and merchants made repairs. May God add his blessing to this reading, or at least this attempted reading, from his holy and inspired word. Who cares? I mean, really. A bunch of hard-to-pronounce names listed for their contributions to the labor in, rep in repairing a wall in, in a city far away. Well, it wasn't just any city. It was Jerusalem. Yeah, but I mean, these are all dead people, okay? Why should we care about a long list of difficult-to-pronounce names and what they did. I mean, it doesn't just say these people helped. It tells what they did. 
kind of like in the New Testament, when there are those sections at the end of letters saying, greet so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. It's like, why is that even in the Bible? Couldn't they have just cut that part off? Jefferson, I'm sure, would have thought so. I mean, do we need this stuff? Yes. This is God's Word. This is God's Word, and it's there for a reason. And one of the reasons that we need this is because it sets an example for us as to how we're supposed to recognize the labors of those who may not be the great and famous heroes of history, but nevertheless played a vital role in their day in making a difference. Amen? We need to learn from that, that it is right to honor those to whom honor is due, to recognize that God has chosen to work through people. Could God have rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem without any human agency? Of course he could. God spoke the universe into being. His power is infinite. God could do anything he wanted, and if he can raise the dead to life, he could certainly raise up some walls. But God chooses again and again to use people. I think that the Great Commission could have been accomplished much more efficiently if God hadn't chosen to use Christians to spread the gospel. I mean, really. But God chose to use people like us to spread the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we should honor those who are engaged in doing the work of the Master, even if it seems to us that they may not be doing the biggest job. They're just doing this section over here. They're just doing this part right here. But I want you to understand also that not only is that true when it comes to those who are faithfully spreading the gospel, folks, it is true of every parent who is seeking to raise their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It is true of every worker who works as a mechanic or as a merchant or whatever else they do for the glory of God. Whatever we are engaged in, if we are doing it for the glory of God, history may not take note, but God does. And the contributions of individual people are important in God's sight, and that's not modern pop psychology, that's biblical. That's why we've got all these lists of names. That's why we've got genie, that's one reason we have genealogies. But you've got all these numerous lists in the Old and New Testament of people and what they did. And sometimes what they did was just to keep the genealogy going. But you have no idea in your own lifetime the impact that that may make. You have no idea how God might use your simple, largely overlooked by humanity faithfulness in just doing what God called you to do in the place where he put you in order to bring honor and glory to his name and pleasure to him. You are listening to Abiding in Christ with Pastor Jim Wood.
Pastor Wood is a popular speaker for family and marriage retreats, conferences, and pro-life fundraisers. If you are planning an event, a retreat, or conference and would like to invite Pastor Wood to speak or teach, please visit WVR.org and fill out our speaker request form. At this site, you'll also find over a dozen books authored by Pastor Wood and his wife, Susan. Again, please visit WVR.org today. To step out of my comfort zone into the realm of the unknown where So, I titled this message Teamwork. Okay. I don't know if you like that. I don't like that. It sounds too, too much like a, you know, a corporate consultant or something. But, but it really is a good description of what this is about and what we learn from this passage. There was a variety of named and unnamed individuals who are given recognition in this. There were males and females. Uh, some of those names were female names? No, but it says one guy worked with the help of his daughters. I love that. Not only male and female, but young and old. Some of these people are referred to not only in terms of who their father was, but in terms of who their grandfather was. And so the impression I get from that is that they were among the younger. So you had male and female, verse 12. You had young and old. You also had locals, people who lived in Jerusalem, and people who came in from around the city in order to help from various regions, and those places are listed. So a variety of named and unnamed individuals. In addition to that, you had a variety of occupations. The first people listed in chapter 3 who went to work, who's the first guy? The high priest. And the other priests with him, his fellow priests. The high priest and his fellow priests got out there and they worked with their hands. The goldsmiths, several of them named in chapter 3 as goldsmiths, and a perfume maker. A perfume maker? Would you have even called him to help? You know? Wouldn't, aren't we so prejudiced that we'd say, oh, don't, don't bother with uh, Charles, he's a perfume maker. <laughs> I don't think we need to ask him. No, he got out there and he worked too. I love that. Not only that, it says there were rulers and servants. It was all kinds of people from all kinds of backgrounds who did all kinds of stuff for a living, coming together, working together, focused on a common task, a common goal. Folks, teamwork requires that regardless of what your background is, you don't come and say, well, I'm, I'm only here in case you need any perfume made. You set aside what you're used to and maybe best at, and you focus on what needs to get done. Is that clear? You're united around a common goal. That's essential to teamwork. So regardless of their background, all of that was set aside in order to focus on something else. Now, with that came a variety, not just in backgrounds, but in levels of commitment. Not everybody worked just as hard. I want you to notice in verse 5, the nobles from Tekoa decided they couldn't work under supervision. And so apparently they just didn't work. The men of Tekoa worked. Their nobles did not. 
because they were not willing to come under someone else's authority and accept supervision, they didn't contribute, and they are noted in this list for their lack of contribution because of their stinky, arrogant attitude that says, I am too noble to accept direction from someone else. Don't be like the nobles from Tekoa. They weren't noble at all. There is nothing noble about arrogance. There is nothing noble about refusing to accept instruction from somebody else. These were guys who were used to giving instruction. And therefore, when somebody else tried to tell them, this is how you do this, they were like, don't tell me what to do. Don't be like the nobles of Tekoa. Be a part of the team. Verse 20, a guy named Baruch is cited because he worked zealously doing his part. Would you like to be a standout in life? Would you like to be remembered as exceptional? Work hard. You'll be a standout. Do you see a man who is skilled in his work, the Bible says? He will stand before kings. He will not serve before obscure men. What does that mean? It means that for thousands of years, people who really apply themselves and give it their best have been exceptional. Most people don't. Most people work half-heartedly. Uh, how, how many of these do you need me to pick up? When do I have to be done? Those are the wrong questions. If you want to be a standout, if you want to be exceptional, it does take hard work. But you will be a standout if you'll give it your best. That's worth noting. All right, a few other observations here. There were a variety of projects. Several of the projects were claimed by people who wanted to work closest to home. Verse 10, verse 23, verse 28, verse 29, verse 30. In each case, it lists what they did as being the area right by their own house. Okay? These folks worked the area nearest to their own home, directly across from their dwelling, right next to their dwelling, directly across from their dwelling, over and over. Hey, that's perfectly fine. We ought to do a good job at our own house. And we ought to do a good job close to home. If you are always driving a half an hour away in order to help the poor, but you're passing a bunch of poor people who are two minutes away and five minutes away and ten minutes away, maybe you ought to think about what could I do to help the people who are two minutes away. So it's not bad to work on stuff that's close to home. But there were others who apparently were far from home, not the least of whom is Nehemiah. Nehemiah had journeyed from Persia in order to come and lead this enterprise. God used him to go a long way in order to make a difference where he did not live. But he went and he invested himself in that community and he lived there as long as was necessary in order to make a difference. And there were people who followed his example and came in 
from the surrounding areas in order to join as part of the team to address a problem that demanded a solution. A variety of projects. I want you to imagine for a moment, just imagine, the sign-up process. Okay, uh, who would like to work on the sheep gate? Can I get a volunteer, volunteer for the sheep gate? Thank you very much. Okay, the sheep gate's taken care of. Scott's going to head that up. Um, who would like to work on the fish gate? Fish gate, right over here. Okay, guys, uh, you get your dad's permission. We need you to, need you to do that. But um, the old gate, okay, the old gate. One of the, one of the names is the old gate. We don't have to be old to do the old gate, but we need somebody to do the old gate. Uh, we need somebody to do the valley gate, um, the water gate, the east gate, the inspection gate. Okay, very good, thank you. Now, um, we still need someone for the fountain gate and someone for the dung gate. <laughs> the dung gate? you got to be kidding me. I mean, this is the gate that leads out to the Valley of Hinnom, which is the garbage dump. Uh, later, it's going to be the, the place that, that became known as, as the Gehenna. It was, I mean, it was, it was the word used for hell. Okay? Nobody wants to do the dung gate. Let me tell you, it doesn't say in this chapter that... Nehemiah had problems getting somebody to sign up for the dung gate. What it does say is that there were people who signed up to do the dung gate. Let me, let me make a suggestion for you. If you really want to be a valuable member of the team, do the dung gate. Be the person who says, I can do that. Why are you willing to do that? Because it needs to be done. And if it needs to be done and nobody else wants to do it, that sounds like a job for me. That's what is needed, folks, is an attitude that says, I see a need, apparently no one else wants to do it, I'll do it. Now, so okay, Pastor, that was a kind of a motivational talk there for us. We appreciate that very much. I can see you did get it out of the Bible passage there, even though it's kind of a stretch at a few points. But... Uh, you know, can, is there some gospel in this? Yes, here's the gospel. Here's the gospel, all right? First of all, God has chosen to make us the body of Christ so that he's going to do his work of redemption in this world through us. And the way that we have to operate together in order for this to accomplish what God has set out to accomplish through us is that we learn to function as a body. Okay, now, so you could have named this body life instead of teamwork. Yeah, could have. But I really felt teamwork was more appropriate in the book of Nehemiah. In the New Testament, the way that teamwork is demonstrated is through body life. And if you want an assignment for homework this afternoon, read 1 Corinthians 12. And what you find there is that the eye cannot say to the foot, I don't need you. And the ear cannot say to the nose, uh, <laughs> you can't hear, can you? The parts of the body are not supposed to be identical. But they are supposed to work together under the authority of the head, who is our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And as we work together, submitted to His authority, God's name is glorified. And people get saved, and the body is built up, and that is what we're supposed to do. Amen? There's a lot of work to be done, folks. But we've got to have a humble attitude that's willing to receive instruction and willing to take on tasks that other people might not want to do. And then go after them zealously, really working hard. And when we do that, it's amazing what can happen. You've been listening to Abiding in Christ. If you have questions that you'd like for us to tackle on the program or comments that you want to make, I want to invite our listeners to call 866-41-ABIDE. That's our toll-free number, 866-41-ABIDE. Or contact us on the web at wvr.org.